this this world I honestly was building that I thought was pretty great. And then January of 2010, it completely changed. It is not a slow event. These horses are going 30 to 40 miles an hour when it comes down to how fast they're capable of running. And honestly, my first deer, I prayed for him. I said, all right, God, if you hear me, you listen to me and you love me, send me a buck. What is the biggest thing you deal with on a daily basis? And I tell him patience, patience with myself, with my chair, with my horses, with other people, with the freaking environment. You know, I was, I was going to figure out how to continue to live life. Not the life that I necessarily had planned, but was going to have a life, you know, a life worth living. This is Amberly Snyder, and you're listening to The Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. You and I and everybody listening to this owns 640 million acres. I think he killed more deer drinking his coffee, smoking his cigarette in the pickup truck than I did spending all that time freezing my butt off. Something that I would hope is that people realize that those are wild animals and they have savage natures. I look forward to packing animals out. I look forward to that pain of success. Doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter where you live. I've said it before and you know what, I'll say it again louder for the people in the back. Your present circumstance should not limit your passions. This is Jay Scott of the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. Hey, this is Ryan Callahan. Hi, this is Jules McQueen. Hey everybody, Jason Carter here with Epic Outdoors. Hey guys, this is Tim Burnett with Solo Hunter. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative brought to you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com so getting on to today's episode, I am sitting down with Amberly Snyder, barrel racer, inspirational speaker, just a really, really interesting person. Amberly, thanks so much for hopping on the line with me today. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here and get to visit. So one thing I was reading through your website that I didn't realize is that you are originally a fellow Southern Californian. Yes. Yes. I was born in Laguna Hills. It's actually, we were, we were in California. I uh, I am originally from Seal Beach myself, so, it's, so that we all started in the same place there, right? There we go, and I feel kind of like so. I uh, a little over a year ago, I rebranded the podcast. It used to be called Living Country in the City, and so I kind of feel like this is hearkening back to the original idea of the podcast, uh, which I was. Uh, it was a little broader, you know. Now it focuses mostly on hunting, as we as we kind of talked about uh, with, with some tangents here and there. But originally, it was just the whole idea of anything, anything country in the city. And so I feel like this is kind of uh, a little flashback to the original intent of the podcast. So I like that a little, little full circle moment. So I'm curious, then, how 
living in Southern California, I think if I remember correctly, your father played for the Dodgers, right? Yes. So my dad played baseball. He played major league ball for eight and a half years. So that was kind of where we ended up. Well, I mean, both of my parents are actually from California, but he was playing ball there. So that was really kind of where we made roots for a second. And then when I was seven, we jumped out and moved to Utah, which is where I feel like, you know, I say I was raised. So did you get into barrel racing and all of this when you were in Southern California or was that when you moved to Utah? It was a little bit of both. So I started riding horses when I was three and that was in California and it was not barrel racing. I wasn't, I wasn't top of barrel racer. It was just learning how to ride. And I felt like I learned all the basics that way in California. But when I was seven and we moved to Utah is when I started competing in rodeo. So kind of a little bit of both, you know, like the background started in, in California, but the actual rodeo aspect and barrel racing came into play when we came to Utah. Now, so you mentioned something. You said toddler barrel racing. Is that like actually a thing? Well, I I mean, there it's crazy now how little these kids are when they start barrel racing. I mean, there are three and four year olds that are out there doing it themselves. So it is it's crazy how, how our world is kind of shaping towards these kids that are so talented at such a young age. It's I couldn't even I don't know. I couldn't even imagine that when I was that young. I remember uh, when I was in sixth grade, we went to a ranch called Rawhide Ranch in Southern California. And they take you out and you work with horses and you learn to ride and you do this. And, you know, you kind of it's like the elementary school live on a ranch and and learn all the, the ranch chores kind of a thing for for a week. And I just fell in love with horses on that ranch. And I, I learned to ride. And I never really got to do much with it. But I've just ever since then I've had this huge, huge love of riding and horses. And it's one of my absolute favorite, favorite things that I never get to do. Right. Right. No, that is cool though. I feel like everyone should have a little bit of time with horses from one place or another because they are pretty incredible animals. (laughs) It's, you forget just how insanely impressive and powerful they are until suddenly, you know, you're standing right next to one or you're, on one's back and you're like, holy crap, this thing could, <laughs> could make some decisions right now. And there's not much I can do. <laughs> no, I even, I even get reminded of that. Right. And I've been around him for 26 years now that there are moments where you just feel very humbled in the sense of, man, this horse does not have to do what I say it should do. It honestly could do whatever the heck it wants, but it chooses to, to be my friend and actually make me happy. <laughs> it's, it's really an amazing thing. And I've talked with, uh, I've talked with a few folks on the podcast who actually uh, do a lot of hunting from horseback. And I actually, uh, a friend that I've had on the podcast, Caitlin Lowe's, she hog hunts archery and with her rifle while riding her horse. And we talked a lot about the relationship you have to develop with your horse and that trust for, for some of these things, because just, it's not just any horse that's going <laughs> to put up with your crap. No, I will say mine would not let me hunt off of them. They would, there's no freaking way I would even attempt to hunt off the back of my horses. It, I mean, I've even talked to people about wanting to go on an elk hunt and they're like, well, would you want to take horses? So it'd be easier. And I'm like, well, not mine. Maybe somebody else's <laughs> would have a horse, but mine would never allow me to do that. It's, I feel like horses in the mountains and I, you know, I've, I've talked with people a lot about this and pack animals and, and riding in with horses and things like that. And, Horses in the mountain can be tough because there's 
a lot of attention required and some animals I feel like you get llamas they're they're pretty even keel like they deal well with with predators and other wild animals you don't you don't have to worry about them bolting a bear comes around a horse I just I don't want to be on its back to be honest. Probably not. I think I think it's a good idea to not. I don't know. Lots of people do it, and I give them super props for that. But you trying to deal with a wild animal while being on a wild animal, there's there is an opportunity for things to go wrong. I, I can definitely imagine. But um, so at seven, you end up moving to Utah. Uh, what really you were riding at the time? What got you into rodeo and barrel racing? I mean, that is what I wanted to do. Even from the time I was little, it just wasn't the opportunity, the place that I went. And I told my dad, if, if I was going to move to Utah with the family, he needed to buy me a horse when we got there. Me thinking I had all that power in the world to say that, which honestly, he made me feel like I did because that is what he did when we got there. He bought me my first girl horse and I started competing. So some of you have laughed and been like, wow, your dad started right there with making you feel like you could get anything you ever wanted for the rest of your life. I'm like, yep. Probably. That was probably where it began. But uh, yeah, I started competing in rodeo and loved it. Still love it. You know, was able to do it through the junior rodeo days up into high school and had won saddles and buckles and a world title my senior year. I mean, it just really all came together, which is what we all want to do with something that is our passion. We want it to not only be fun, but be successful. And I was lucky enough to do that with the rodeo world. Oh, absolutely. And well, so what you said, it's something you've always wanted to do. What on earth would inspire you living in Orange County? Like, I mean, yeah, there is kind of a, there is a bit of a horse culture down there, but like you don't get a lot of kids down there that are like, that's what I want to do with my life. Rodeo. Like what, like what flipped that switch for you? That was definitely built in from my mom. She had a horse when she was younger, but she didn't get to rodeo. She wanted to. So when she saw that I just had any sort of a horse bug at all, I think she just filtered me to want to be a barrel racer. Like that was what she just built into me from the time I was little. She would trace my hand and make a barrel pattern on my hand. We would take a pencil and we would write it on a piece of paper over and over and over. It was like she, she saw that I had the bug of loving horses and just shaped it into wanting to be a barrel racer with it. Okay. Okay. So now for those, uh, I feel like most people know what barrel racing is, but for those that don't, that are listening, that don't have any clue what we're talking about, maybe run us through what the heck is barrel racing? (laughs) Well, there are three barrels set up in an arena and you're going to go around them in a cloverleaf pattern. So you think of what a cloverleaf looks like. And there's a right and a left barrel and then a farther up barrel in the center. And you can go to the right barrel first or the left barrel first. Doesn't matter. But you hit one of those, circle around the other one that's crossed from it, and then go up to the third one and run home. Fastest time wins. So it's a speed event. You want to be the fastest one there. And they're doing, I mean, patterns that are 60 feet two from the timer to the first barrel, 90 feet across the arena, and 105 to the third. They're doing that in 17 seconds. So it is not a slow event. These horses are going you know, 30 to 40 miles an hour when it comes down to how fast they're capable of running when you make these barrel runs. Well, and so, and it's not even just necessarily the speed of the horse, but it's the, it's the dexterity and the, the precision, I guess, is what I'm looking for going around those barrels. I mean, you're, 
you're skirting those things. You're skimming along the edge of them and making these tight turns at, at insane speeds. Yeah, it really is. It's kind of an art when you think down to it like that. I mean, you have to be able to not only go fast, but have the finesse in order to turn a barrel tight. I mean, I ran yesterday and I tipped the third barrel, so I knocked it over. But because he was working that hard, you know, I mean, if you're not that close to him, you're not going to win. So you've got to be close enough to do that, but yet still be able to keep them up. I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of art and finesse that goes into being able to be fast and quick. So now with stuff like you're going around these barrels, these are literally just a barrel sitting, sitting there. It's not like bolted down or anything. When you're going around these barrels, is it, are you eliminated if you knock the barrel or is it like a time penalty or what's the, how's that all work? It depends on the race. So some of them it's a time penalty plus five seconds and other times it's a straight up no time, but it doesn't matter either way because honestly, if you hit a barrel and it's a plus five seconds, you're not going to be anywhere near the ballpark regardless even at a barrel race where they call them like a D barrel race. So they, there's a one D two D three D 45 D. So like different categories. If you think about it, like golfing, how you have handicaps in order to help people be able to keep up and have a pace, same concept in barrel racing that we separated into D's, but the lowest D is only two seconds past. Well, slower than the winner. So if you hit a barrel at five seconds, you're still not in the ballpark at all. You can't hit a barrel and win pretty much (laughs) bottom line is what it comes down to. You can't hit a barrel and win unless absolutely everyone else is having a really bad day. Yeah. Which for that to the (laughs) odds for everyone to suck that bad. Yeah. It's probably not going to happen. At that, I guess at the caliber you're competing, it's it's really not very likely. No, definitely (laughs) not. Somebody's going to go out there and smoke a run regardless of where you are. (laughs) So now I feel like, uh, you know, recently, and of course you had your, your cameo on there. I feel like recently with Yellowstone and everything, there's been this very, a lot more public view of, of rodeoing and barrel racing and stuff. Again, I feel like, have you noticed there's kind of been a lot bigger of a wider interest in it or popularity with, uh, with it being on effectively the biggest TV show on right now? Well, you know, I don't, I feel like that people maybe recognize what it is more. Um, They did kind of a funny twist on Yellowstone at Barrel Racers, right? They, they kind of put out a different kind of an image, which is not entirely accurate with how Barrel Racers really are. But it's funny, like for us who actually do rodeo, like we get to laugh at the jokes because it's the jokes we've heard our whole lives about Barrel Racers. And so we get to laugh at those, but I mean, in the essence, I think it's bringing into light that that it is a sport that girls compete in, in rodeo. It was fun in order to be on it. And I guess not necessarily fit the, the, I don't know, box they're putting in the barrel racers in Mm -hmm. and just to be something different. And she did a very good job complimenting the way that I compete and they did a really good job putting it together. Even to have me, you know, built into the script altogether was really a fun deal. And yeah, uh, it's kind of crazy to think about the biggest network having barrel racers on yeah. it. It felt it felt very authentic the way they did it. It didn't it didn't feel like a weird contrived kind of thing to to have that cameo in, and it it did feel very like it brought like you said a different a different side side to it from kind of the like you said. I have a lot of friends out in Oklahoma and this and that, and so I've heard the jokes. The, the barrel yes. racer jokes a lot. And yes. Cause it was, I met him and I, I just, I knew nothing about it. And I'm like, man, everyone's talking crap about the barrel racers. I'm they like, do. It's- people do. It's what we live with. But 
I mean, it's, it is, it's just kind of the way that it, I don't know, just is what it is. And we just laugh at it too. It's like, whatever, we love what we do. So you can make fun of it all you want. It's not going to change who we are. (laughs) And it was, it was funny because I think it was probably a few days before that episode aired that I'd reached out to you to come on the podcast. And yeah, I think it was. And I, you know, I had no idea. And so I reached out to you. I'm like, Hey, I'd love to have you on. And, And we were kind of sorting out some timing and then I was watching, I've been watching it with my, with my whole family and we're sitting down watching it. And all of a sudden I'm like, Hey, I, I'm going to have her on the podcast. <laughs> and, and of course they all, they all lost their crap. They thought that's the greatest thing ever. So uh, you have, you have a uh, whole, uh, whole set of fans up here in Northern Cal or over in Northern California rooting for you. So <laughs> well, thank you for that. I need them anywhere. I can get them. <laughs> Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. So, um, then several years ago, your life changed, uh, pretty drastically. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. To say the least, you know, I felt like after my senior year of high school, I had, you know, was at this really high point of winning the world all around title with the little britches and, and high school rodeo and applying at a college rodeo. And I had this, this world, I honestly was building that I thought was pretty great. And then January of 2010, it completely changed when I was on my way to Denver, Colorado for the stock show. And I looked out on my map as I was going through Sinclair, Wyoming, ended up overcorrecting my truck, rolled it, was ejected, hit a fence post on the side of the road across my stomach and broke my back and injuring my spinal cord. So of course, then life completely changes. As you're sitting on the side of the road, looking at your truck and realizing that you can't feel anything from the waist down. So for me, they said the chances of me, oh, I asked them, what are the chances of me feeling or moving my legs again? They said slim to none, but more than none. So I had to figure out now what, you know, what do you do when your whole life that what you've planned on is not going to be that way? And what do you do next? That was really what I had to do. I mean, it's, that that's life changing. That is like a drastic change for anyone in any situation, regardless of what you're doing. I mean, you could be the type of person that literally all you do is play video games all day long. And that will still be a, a huge, a huge thing to deal with in your life. But for someone that does what you do and has literally built an entire life around that, that's, I mean, like what goes through your mind in in that moment? I know it is. It's kind of crazy to even fathom. Like if you really sit for a minute and think, okay, if somebody came in and said, now your legs don't work. So figure it out. The whole life you feel like you've wanted to have not going to happen. So what do you do now? And you know, you think of that as an 18 year old kid that that's, you know, when you just graduated high school and this life you is about to begin, right? That's when you get to really start living the life you want to live. And 
now your whole life is different and you've got to figure out what to do. And that's really how I felt. You know, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do with that. I feel like there was a lot of every part of the stages of grief you go through with something like that, you know, it was the loss of my legs. So it was definitely a loss for me and had to go through the anger and the denial and the grieving and everything that went along with that. But at the same point, I was very lucky to have such an awesome support system. And honestly, I think my parents had built me to have such a mentality and attitude that it didn't, it didn't sway me to the point that I wasn't going to be a, a, I don't know, a happy person or a successful person or something. You know, I was, I was going to figure out how to continue to live life regardless of the chair, not the life that I necessarily had planned, but was going to have a life, you know, a life worth living. I can imagine, you know, a lot of people in that situation would just break down, end up, all in their head. Woe is me. And it's you, I feel like you have to make a decision at that point. You either can feel sorry for yourself or you can look at what happened and figure out how the hell am I going to do this? You know, I'm going to, okay, this is, this is the new, this is my new reality. I can either let it, let it define me or I can use it and define myself. Yep. It definitely is exactly like that, that they tell you, this is the cards you're dealt. So you decide what you're going to do with them. That's, that was very much how it was. And I mean, and when I say, Hey, I rodeo and they're like, well, nobody's rodeo like this. So you're going to want to do something else. I'm like, well, then no, that's what I do. Or, you know, I mean, you build this life and then they tell you that's not the life you can have. I was very lucky, still am very lucky that I was able to go back to competing. I was able to get back on a horse and I am the only one in the United States that does what I do. So there was no guidebook. There was no reference. There was no somebody I could call. It was figure it out. And if you love it enough, you're not going to give it up. So that's what we did. Well, and I, you know, admittedly, I've not ever dealt with anything nearly as life-changing as this, but I've also, I know for myself, I'm the type of person that the second somebody is like, no, you should probably, you can't do this. You should probably try something else. I'm like, oh, I'll show you. I'll show you. That's no, 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 no. You don't tell me that I can't do this because I'll figure out a dang way to do it. You know, we're funny as, as humans that that is the way we feel. We feel like we want to be proving ourselves all the time. Um, and I felt like that with a lot of things, like being able to go back to school and being able to, my horses wasn't one of those. My horses wasn't one of those prove them wrong type people because, or things for me, just because I don't really care. I don't really care if somebody says I can't get on a horse because, well, it's not up to them anyway. And it's not, they, they don't get to decide how much I love it or what I can and can't do. Like, I don't know. It's, it's such a funny concept because, you know, like we think about what drives us as people. Are we, are we driven, which is totally fine if motivation comes from somebody saying, hey, you can't do that. And if that gives you the motivation and the perseverance to get up and do it, dang straight feet on that. Like that's how that should be. For me with my horses, it wasn't people saying you can't ride. It was, I don't, I don't need you to try to motivate me. I'm already motivated to do it. I want to get on a horse. I'm going to get on a horse. It doesn't matter what you say. And if you don't want to be there when I do it, well, not my problem. I'm doing it for me, not for you. So, so after the, after the accident, then was it immediately like, okay, I'm getting back to this. Like I will get back on a horse and I will race again. Or was it, all right, I need to figure out what to do with my life and how I'm going to 
rearrange this? And then you kind of started thinking like, well, maybe there is a way to, to race. Like, was it, or was it just from day one? Like, nope, everything I'm doing, I'm getting back on this horse. Uh, honestly, I want to say both because from the beginning it was, I'm getting on back on the horse. It doesn't matter what they say. I'm getting back on. It doesn't matter what their plan is or what their odds are, or if my legs work or don't work, I'm going to get on a horse. It's what I do. So that was the attitude. And then when it didn't feel like I wanted it to, then there was a step back. There was nine months of a step back where I was like, okay, I actually need to figure out how to even handle life in a chair. So I need to figure that out first. And then I feel like I can tackle the challenge. So kind of both, right? Like I had that attitude about I'm getting back on a horse. That's what I'm doing. I'm doing this. And then I realized it was not going to be as easy as I wanted it to be and how to go. Okay. Actually, I've got to figure out how to even handle life in a chair. I've got to figure out how to do that first. And then I can take on the challenge of riding. So it's kind of both. But when I did get back on after that nine months, I mean, it was 100% like, what were you thinking? You're not going to live without this. This is what you do. This is who you are. This is what you love. So you're doing it. Now, you're saying you're the only one in the U.S. that does what you do. Yes. So effectively, you... uh, I'm sure you and your family and your, your support system, you guys had to invent a way Uh, you had to, because you can't, you can't ride like you used to. No, no, that was, was, I actually just made a post this morning about that because I showed the pieces of my saddle that I was able to put together because yeah, there was no person you could reach out to. I mean, now there's people who ride, Right. And they hear about me. So they reach out to me and they ask about my saddle setup or how do I get on or how do I do these things? But prior to me, there wasn't somebody you could call. There wasn't somebody you could reach out to and say, Hey, how do you do this? Because there wasn't anyone. I mean, I was it. So it was such trial and error. You know, we started with the seatbelt, put it on, had me a little more balance, did some straps around my legs. So they weren't moving where my horses were scared about them, rubber banded my feet in. I mean, we did all of these pieces in order to make it so that I could ride, but yeah, there was no uh, build it book. It was, well, that didn't work and that still sucks. So what do we do different? So what are some of the, I guess, what are some of the, you use your, your legs and your feet typically when you ride to control the horse a lot. What are, what are some of the differences now that, and the adjustments you had to make in order a, I don't even know how to ask the question correctly. Like in order to be able to, to ride, like you clearly can't, you know, spur on your horse in the same way you can't, uh, you can't use your legs to guide in, in that same way. What are, what are those, some of those differences now uh, with your riding? So that part is different, right? Cause a lot of people do ride with their legs and that's how they communicate with their horses. So for me, I do it with my hands and my voice. They pay very close attention to what my hands are doing and what I'm talking to them about. And they listen to that. It's not that they can't like me. You can get on my horse and use your legs and he knows how to pay attention to that. I mean, they were trained with their legs to start with. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like they never had that. They have to learn the skills of how to move their body correctly. So they were taught that to begin with. And then they just know now when I get on to ignore what my legs are doing and pay attention to my hands and my voice, I can carry a whip, like a dressage whip with me if I need to. It's like a longer whip that I can bump them where my feet are if I need that in order to get them to do certain things. So I still utilize the tools of where your legs would be, but just without your legs being the communication. Oh, interesting. Okay. And 
I'm just like, I'm, I'm just absolutely fascinated with this again. Cause I, I absolutely love, loved riding and horses. And I just think it's so fascinating the work that you have put in and the time you've spent and when, like, how long would you say, and I'm sure it's still a, still a process and you're still always improving on things, but how long would you say this whole process lasted of, of kind of developing the saddles and, and your methods and stuff before you were ready to start competing again? Well, the first time I got on was four months after, and then we worked on the seatbelt. That was a couple months after. And we did my feet rubber banded in. We did the Velcro straps around my legs. That was kind of that first summer and fall. And then I took that hiatus where I was like, I'm going to can do this. This is too, this wasn't what I wanted it to be. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be like it was. So I took nine months off. I came back, added two more pieces to my saddle and then got back into competing. So it was in total before I started competing again, 18 months that I got all the pieces put together. Um, and honestly, I still ride in that same saddle. I have, I have tried to, and it's been 10 years. So I've tried to use a couple different saddles, tried a couple different setups and nothing has worked the same as just the original. So, so far it, that is what it is. I have what works and I'm, I'm using what works. I honestly need to figure out how to put it on another saddle just for the sake of not that saddle fits every horse you get on. So at this point, like my horses have to kind of suck it up if it doesn't quite fit them perfectly. <laughs> for me. Um, but I would eventually like to be able to get a, maybe a more fine tuned setup. Um, I have a couple different ideas that I've done and honestly, I keep going back to what I just did from the start. I don't know if that's just comfortable or what works or what I, honestly, it's what I feel the most confident in. So I keep using it. Now, what were people's, when you first came out to compete, like what, what were people's reactions? Like when, when you, when you came out, like what was kind of the, the general feeling? You know, I've been really lucky that there's been a lot of support. There has been people who cheer me on in all, I don't know, since the beginning. I, I mean, who knows what they say when I'm not sitting there or when I'm not running. <laughs> um, I mean, I've had people joke about, wow, we really didn't expect you to come back and win. Like we didn't expect you to be able to. Yes. <laughs> And so I have gotten that comment a couple times and I told him, well, Hey, just cause my legs don't work. Doesn't mean my mentality changed. I'm still here, still here to win just like you are. Um, and I don't know if everyone expected that per se, but very supportive. Honestly, it's not like I get people who trash talk me and tell me that I shouldn't be out there. Like I said, who knows what they say maybe when I'm not there, but to me, they're very <laughs> nice and supportive and I have people that cheer me on and, and encourage me to do well. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Decova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. 
Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So now I'm going to switch gears a little bit uh, because we did, we did talk a little bit about hunting and um, you said you, you do, and you got, you know, the listeners can't, can't see, but you got a, a nice big deer there in the background. Oh, you got a few. Three behind me back there. Nice. So um, actually started after my accident. That's kind of a crazy deal. So how'd you get into that then? Well, so the, there was that nine months that I was without my horses. And during those nine months, I got an email asking if somebody, they had a, uh, I guess they would call it a handicap tag, but that somebody could fill. And they'd sent out this email through the therapy chain of who wanted to fill it. And I'm like, well, heck, I'll go fill it. I haven't gone hunting before. I've never hunted. I've never had time. It's not something that I do. So I'm like, I'll do that. I'll go hunting. So we go down to this place in Monticello, Utah, and it wasn't on a, it wasn't on a high fence ranch. It was nothing like that. I mean, we were still hunting, but they had some private land in this big alfalfa field that usually deer would drop into. So that was where we were able to hunt. And honestly, my first deer, I prayed for him. I, I had, a, I was so frustrated the first night we went and I'd seen a pretty, it was a muley buck tag. And I'd seen a pretty decent three-point muley, and my guide had told me not to shoot it. We'd get something better. I trusted him. We looked all day the next day. I realized hunting can be rather boring from time to time because if you don't see anything at all, I mean, I'm not, I'm talking like not even a squirrel. You kind of feel like, (laughs) wow, this is a lot. Um, So we went back to that field that night and still hadn't seen a lot. Maybe we'd seen a couple does and a couple spikes. And I was, I was at a pretty interesting place in my life with God, because I had felt like, you know, he'd built me up to be this person. I get in this accident and I no longer can be that person. And I was pretty frustrated and felt like, honestly, God didn't love me. So that's what I did. I actually prayed in that truck. I said, all right, God, if you hear me, you listen to me and you love me, send me a buck. And a pretty massive, I don't know if you can see him in this, but he's this one right there. He's a, pretty decent sized four point buck that came walking out and came out on a purpose, stood broadside for me to shoot him. Um, that was my first experience of hunting and I was pretty dang lucky on that. Then after that, I'm like, all right, well, hunting's maybe not that bad. I kind of <laughs> like, I might be able to handle it. So my second animal was an antelope. He's in my office. Um, my third antelope or my third animal was, I've got an axis buck from Texas. Um, I've got a black buck above me in here, and then I have my white tail. So, and I get to, I don't know, I'm, I've, I'm going hunting this fall in Alabama, and it just depends on what shows up first, but either another white tail, an elk, or a fallow. And okay. we'll see what we end up with. But yeah, I, it's so crazy how hunting comes into place. I don't know, for me, at such a, it was a time of, honestly, a very low time. For me, a pretty sad time. And how a deer or hunting or, you know, however you want to go about it, brought me back to, okay, you know what? This is all right. I'm going to be able to handle this. It's, I feel like I've, I've heard that story in with very different twists every time, but I've heard that story from so many people that hunting and the outdoors have brought them back to a good place when they were at their lowest or they were in a bad spot. And it, I really 
do think the outdoors is one of the most healing things in this world for people. And, um, it's a great way for them to, you know, reconnect with themselves, reconnect with God. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a story I hear again and again and again, and it's, it's one of the most amazing things in this world. It really is. I think that when you get out in God's country, right, that he created for us and you get to see the peaceful parts of it and honestly the beauty of it, it really, it puts, it just puts your heart at a, at a peaceful place. I think that's, that's where you get to feel that way. You know, you get to reconnect with yourself and get out of the hustle and bustle and the stress of the world because everyone has stress. We all have it. I mean, you can't avoid it. It's part of, it's part of the world that we live in, but sometimes you just need a break for your heart and for your soul. And it's crazy how getting out in the outdoors does that. It's oh, yeah. not crazy. Honestly, it's not crazy because we know why we do it. That's why we're out there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I love to be able to do that and I, I miss it when I'm not there. And you just have to take, you just have to take in those moments and how lucky we are to have them. Now, are you familiar? Uh, Cause I'm pretty sure they're based in Utah. Uh, my buddy Sid, he's a, a double amputee um, and he's a, Iron Man, a triathlete. He like backcountry hunts. He just took his elk this year. He like solo hunts and all this. Uh, and he's involved with uh, an organization, Disabled Outdoorsmen USA. Are you familiar with them at all? I've heard of that, but I haven't gotten to do anything with them yet. Okay, I think they're. I think they're based. I asked especially because I think they're based in in Southern Utah. But I'll have to. I'll have to check. I'll have to reach out to Sid and. Uh, I need to get. I need to get involved with that. Then with that all together, really, especially if it's like in my backyard. Yeah, yeah. I'll definitely. I'll have to make sure to connect the two of you at some point. And he's a a great guy, just a super inspirational person as well. I, I had him on for the second time. I think like two or three episodes ago, very recently. But um, so, what are what are some of the unique challenges you've noticed you face? in the outdoors when you're out hunting? Oh, I mean, first is just the obvious of getting places, right? I mean, you can't really step over a log or go up a hill or cross a creek. Like there's just, just that concept. And that's even with my horses, like to wheel in the dirt to get a horse or when they want to walk away from me in a pasture, the concept of that is annoying is honestly (laughs) the first word that comes to my mind. It's just annoying. When people ask me, what is the biggest thing you deal with on a daily basis? And I tell them patience, patience with myself, with my chair, with my horses, with other people, with the freaking environment. doesn't matter what it is. It's just patience with that because it's hard. Everything is hard. Um, so that is a challenge. I mean, when it comes to even hunting, you know, I have to figure out what kind of a blind can I get on? Where can I sit? Um, how can I sit there? How long can I sit there? That's also something you have to recognize as somebody who's paralyzed is, you can't sit in one spot all day uncomfortably like you can someone else. You know, we have to worry about skin breakdown. We have to worry about the pressure sores that come with that. I mean, there is that concept that people don't even think about of just it being hard. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I've been, I've been able to go in some pretty neat places and had some pretty awesome blinds. And I feel like they're doing an even better job now in the hunting world to make blinds bigger and more accessible and that there's an, uh, like a possibility to be able to do it. So it's been fun to even be able to see the changes there. I can also shoot from within a truck legally. So then that helps me out in, in a few scenarios as well, depending on where we are. I, which, I mean, I don't know. It, it is, it's just, it's just getting there, right? It's just yeah. getting into those positions that somebody with legs can get to that somebody in a chair just can't. 
Well, and it seems like you're a lot more reliant as well on on kind of the, the blind setup and you can't exactly spot and stalk in on an animal silently in a chair. No, no, there's definitely <laughs> silent stalking that goes along with your wheelchair. That is, there is not, that does not happen. I mean, there, it's just, it is that concept. You kind of are stuck in a blind. You know, you have to get to a blind, be stuck in a blind and wait for the animals to come. There is no, well, let me try and chase them up to here and follow him there and set up. You can't, I mean, you just, it's a hard place to get. And if you tried, I mean, they have awesome track chairs now and I have mm-hmm. a track chair that it makes the mobility there, but it's not quiet. So honestly, and it's not that fast. It moves less than five miles an hour. So you're really not getting that. I don't know. You're not getting there fast. Yeah. I'd really be interested though. Uh, when you finally get to go on an elk hunt, I'd really be interested to hear how that goes because with elk hunting, it brings some other unique possibilities where yet you may not be necessarily doing the stalking, but there's a higher likelihood of you being able to get somewhere set up and have, have somebody call in an elk versus always just having to sit and wait in a blind. So I'd be, I'd be very, very interested in, in, in following along when you, when you go on your first elk hunt, I'd, I'd lo- very much love to hear about that. So. Yeah. I'm excited to see how that could play out. I, cause I've, I've not ever got to do elk hunting. So we will see when that all unfolds. <laughs> I just recently, and you know, in fairness, um, I, I don't have a chair and I still can't manage to be quiet in the woods as my, <laughs> as my, my guide and my good buddy, John, uh, who just took me on my, my elk hunt, uh, kept reminding me, <laughs> um, he was given, he was giving me a lot of crap We're you know, we're buddies. And so he is fully allowed to, but he was giving me a lot of crap. He's like, could you kick some more rocks? They don't know we're here already. Um, I believe that. That makes it funny. I am. A, I just have zero capability of being silent. So I don't know. Maybe we should hunt together. Uh, <laughs> then everything will know we're there. There we go. We won't even see a squirrel. Um, but, so uh, as we're kind of winding down here, one thing I always like to ask, and you know, I'll frame it a, a little bit differently, but you know, say somebody comes up and whether they're looking at rodeo or barrel racing or they're looking at hunting and the outdoors, any, anything that they want to do. And they're, they're like, Oh my gosh, you know, I see you do these things. They're, they're so awesome, but I don't know. It looks like a lot to learn, a lot to figure out. It looks like it might be too much for me. I've always really wanted to do it, but I don't know what, what kind of words of wisdom or advice would you give that person? You know, I tell them, I was actually just having this conversation with my, with my best friend yesterday. We went down to barrel race and we were warming up. We were walking to warm up and we were talking about how people choose to live their lives in the sense of you could be so worried about saving money your whole life that you could do nothing else besides work and save your money. But then what, what happens at what point, you know, have you looked back and said, wow, I had a really awesome life because I did this. Or wow, what an awesome adventure I did because I went here. Or what a great memory I had with this person because I was able to spend the time to do it. Sometimes I think we get so caught up in wanting to be at this, I don't know, maybe a peak of success that we don't enjoy the small moments along the way. Um, I mean, heck, like me and my sister and my friend, like we're just going to go to Disney World in two weeks. We just decided last week we were doing it. We planned it. We put it together. We're just like, why, why not? I mean, why would we not just load up and do something like that? Because 
yeah, it, it does cost money and it is expensive and it is those things that, you know, we try to save to be able to do, but what an awesome memory to be able to have. So people who want to do things, maybe you want to hunt, maybe you want to ride a horse, maybe you want to travel. Don't spend your whole time just wanting to do it. Get out and do it. So then you can look back and say, hey, that was an awesome experience that I was, I was able to have. Not, wow, I can't wait till I get to do that one day. I mean, you might as well make the memory now. So that's the advice I would give them. Go out and make the memory instead of hoping you get to make it at some point. Well, I think that is the perfect place to close this out. Uh, if folks wanted to follow along, find you online, where can they, uh, where can they hunt you down? You can find me on all the social media places, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok. I don't know if I've named them all. If there's another one, YouTube, anywhere <laughs> you want to look up things, you can put it in really Snyder and you will find me. Awesome. Well, I will make sure to link to those on the show notes page. Amberly, thank you so much for taking the time and hopping on with me. I really had a great time chatting with you. Thank you. Me too. All right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure to check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. That'll do it for this week. Looking forward to next time. But until then, I hope this episode inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to The Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.